0: It's the summer of 1998. The Backstreet Boys are blasting from radios across the country. Tamagotchis are living and dying in the sweaty palms of kids. And TVs nationwide are tuned into one of the first games of a brand new basketball league a women's league. It was a sellout crowd. Typical Gore
1: was there. Everybody in the nation's capital of importance was at that game.
0: That's Nikki McRae. And that brand new women's league was the WNBA. Nikki was playing her first home game with the Washington Mystics. Tennessee, number 15, Nikki McCray!
1: I was so nervous. I was so nervous just because, I mean, you're looking at 18,000 fans. But once the ball tipped up, I was ready to go.
0: the WNBA made this groundbreaking opportunity into the biggest spectacle possible. Giant banners, big name sponsors, stadiums filled to the brim with the most important people in the country.
1: It was just a different ball game. You know, like you were on the biggest stage.
0: It's true. The WNBA was the biggest stage women players had ever seen. But as they'd soon learn, bigger isn't always better. Especially when you're not getting paid your worth. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Ramoy Phillip, subbing in for All-Star, Simone Blahn. 27 years ago this week, on April 24th, 1996, The WNBA shot its first shot. But this new organization was hot on the heels of another women's league. The story of the WNBA is actually the story of two leagues and the battle between them over players, broadcasting rights, and the value of women's labor. And it turns out, the best league doesn't always win. Get ready to rip off those tearaway pants after the break. In the mid-90s, the National Basketball Association, the NBA, was in its golden age. They had star players like Shaq and Michael Jordan, but there was one thing missing, a place for women to play. See, in the mid-1990s, there was no pro league for women's basketball in the States. After Title IX passed in 1972, women could play college ball, But as soon as they graduated, their hoop dreams were done. If they wanted to play professionally, they had to go play overseas in places like Japan, Russia, Italy. Women players there could earn a decent living, but they'd have to live away from home. And that was a problem that one huge basketball fan in the Bay Area wanted to solve. Gary Cavalli had wanted to create a women's league for years one that actually valued women and paid them enough to play in the states full-time. He managed to raise enough money from Silicon Valley investors to start what he called the American Basketball League, or the ABL.
2: We didn't want to have women's in the title. You know, we thought, let's just call it American Basketball League. Plus, if we called it the women's ABL, it would be a wobble. And uh, (laughs) we didn't think wobble was a good acronym. In early
0: 1996, Gary was hustling his ass off to try and lock down financial support with advertising and broadcast TV deals for the ABL. But from the jump, Gary started running up against a problem.
2: We'd be out there talking to TV networks, and we'd be out there talking to Nike and Reebok, and there was always this specter, you know, this shadow hanging over us.
0: That shadow was the WNBA, or at least the idea of it. Rumors were flying about the NBA starting their own women's league.
2: We are going to launch a women's league. We're not sure when, you know, and all every time they spoke, it was like a dagger sponsors were reluctant because they were afraid if they went with us, then the NBA would be upset, you know, and maybe they'd rather wait and support the NBA.
0: Gary was able to make deals with BET and a hodgepodge of local channels. Not the greatest outcome, but at least ABL Games would have an audience. So Gary started recruiting and hosting tryouts for the eight teams that would make up the ABL. And then, one April morning in 1996, in a room full of news cameras and reporters, the NBA made the announcement that Gary had been treading
1: Lots of women had
0: their
3: eye on the ball today, hoping it leads to success. It was launch day for the new women's basketball league, the WNBA.
1: ABC's Lisa Salt-
0: Here was the plan. The WNBA would officially start playing in the summer of the next year. The league would be made up of eight teams based in major cities, 12 players would play for each team, creating nearly 100 new jobs for women athletes. This was not the news Gary Cavalli and the ABL wanted to hear, but he did have a head start. He'd already been recruiting some of the best players in the country including most of the 1996 U.S. Women's Olympic team. They took home the gold at the Olympics that year, making them officially the best team in the world. And he also snagged some other top-tier talent, like Valerie Still.
3: It's like, you're crazy. I'm, I don't even play. I got a baby. I don't even have shoes. I, you know, I'm, I'm a mother.
0: Valerie had been a hoop star for almost a decade over in Italy. In the summer of 1996, though, she was back in the States focused on her infant son. When she got a call about ABL tryouts, Valerie wasn't so sure about getting back on the court. Until she heard what the ABL was offering. The ABL was willing to pay for Valerie's son and husband to travel to every practice and every game. In the past, most sports organizations had been inhospitable to mothers. But this was all part of Gary's vision. Creating an American league that actually supported women players in a real substantive way. So, Valerie said yes.
3: When I got to practice, oh, it was just like everything was okay, as hard as it was. And my teammates were young and funny and playing hard and caring and loving, and it was everything I needed.
0: The ABL kicked off its first season in October 1996, and Valerie was the center for the ABL team out of Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus Quest.
3: Valerie still is fired up. The is pumped right now, and so is this crowd. It was us against the world, and whenever we got on the court, we played like our lives depended on, but not just our lives the lives of all women that were going to come after us.
0: Quickly, Valerie's teammates became like this family to her. And she became especially close with one teammate in particular.
1: Columbus is a basketball town, and it was kind of like being back in college. You felt like you were a part of something.
0: That's right, Nikki McRae. The same Nikki McRae you heard playing for the WNBA from the top of the show. Nikki, she was just like so much
3: fun and singing all the time. She loved my son. She had these long braids that she would wear and she'd always flush them in front of his head. And he'd laugh and giggle and she'd sing to
0: him. Before she went to the WNBA, Nikki played alongside Valerie in the ABL for the Columbus Quest. She joined the team after her time in the Olympics and was a young star in the making who could learn a lot from Valerie's long career.
1: She was a vet in the game. She was what we needed at the time. She was an unbelievable rebounder.
0: But Nikki admired more than just Val's skills on the court. She loved Val for her drive, her ambition, but also her ability to keep it a buck.
1: She wasn't trying to come to our team and be anything but Val. She just wanted to make a difference.
0: Without big-time TV broadcasts, The ABL players knew being dominant on the court wasn't everything. They'd have to sell their fans on something else, too.
3: We had to make people love us as people and not as professional athletes. We were in Atlanta. We were tearing them up. And at halftime, there was a double dutch competition. And so we come out of the locker room and there's Nikki McCray jumping double dutch.
0: Valerie and her teammates made this kind of open-door policy for their fans. They could make their way from the stands down to the court and crack jokes with the bench. They'd even bring them snacks.
3: They'd bring us Skittles and licorice and Twizzlers and would and drink their Cokes or whatever while the game was going on. That inaugural
0: 1996 season, the Quest dominated with a 31-9 record, taking home the first ABL Championship trophy. And Nikki McCray, she got her flowers, too.
1: My staple has always been defense. And I can lock anybody up, you know, when I put my mind to it. And that's how I got the MVP.
0: Nikki's MVP crown came right around the same time the WNBA was on a hiring spree for its first season. Her jersey might as well have had a bullseye on it.
1: And, you know, obviously I was the MVP, of the league, so I became a big target.
0: ABL CEO Gary Cavalli knew it too. It was
2: pretty blatant that they really wanted to steal her because she was our MVP, and they thought that that would be a potentially fatal blow to the ABL if they stole Nikki McCray.
0: That's halftime, y'all. After the break, What happens to the ABL when the WNBA, with its big shoes and deep pockets, steps onto the court? Stay tuned.
2: Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence.
0: Welcome back, Benchwarmers! Before the half, we saw two teams take the court. First, the underdog ABL, founded by Gary Cavalli. Then, we met our ABL All-Stars Valerie Still and Nikki McRae and saw their team, the Columbus Quest, snag the league's first championship. But then, the WNBA started poaching the ABL's players. When the WNBA launched in 96, The league had three big names from that year's Olympic team. Rebecca Lobo, Cheryl Swoops, and Lisa Leslie. And with their superstar power, the new league was rolling out a marketing full-court press. Here's Lisa Leslie from a 1996 news report.
3: I think I'm the chosen one right now, the chosen face to go in front of the camera, and I accept that responsibility as a role
1: model.
0: Now, while the ABL was all about hoops and not singling out women the WNBA was taking the opposite tactic. They focused explicitly on gender. This was a girls' league.
3: Yo, y'all play like girl. girl. What? what? Oh, thank you.
2: Bud Light, proud sponsor of the
0: WNBA. The WNBA was an attractive option for players. Players like Nikki McRae, at the end of her first season with the ABL, Nikki's contract was up for renewal. She had a big decision to make, and she opted to go for the league with the larger platform. You know, it was a very hard decision
1: to leave our team that was so good, but I think it was more stability. Obviously, having the NBA behind you, commercials, marketing opportunities, just being being seen.
0: In some ways, Nikki's ABL teammate Valerie Still understood the appeal. The WNBA could turn its players into household names. We live in
3: a capitalistic society, so they were spending so much on marketing. And they had all the connections with TV exposure. That's a big thing.
0: But still, Valerie was hurt.
3: I came down on Nikki about... You know, just not having any loyalty. And, and she did what any professional athlete should do. She put herself in a position where, you know, it set her up. But I couldn't understand that at the time. And I was more hurt about it than anything else.
0: As Valerie saw it, Nikki's move was this sort of unspoken betrayal. Of their friendship and of the hoops dynasty they were building together over in the ABL one that really valued women athletes for maybe the first time in American basketball history certainly more than the WNBA so this is a
3: comparison the average salary for ABL player was 80,000 compared to approximately 26,500 for a WNBA player if you're flipping burgers 26,000 and that's approximate. So the minimum salary in the ABL is 40000 The WNBA, the minimum was $10,000.
1: $10, $10,000!
0: But for Nikki, the salary wasn't the selling point.
1: We were playing in NBA arenas. We were on TV. We were doing commercials. American Express, McDonald's commercials. I mean, they funded everything just to jumpstart it so... It was about getting our faces out there, more so than the money.
0: As the WNBA solidified its structure, the disparity between the two leagues didn't stop there. When Gary Cavalli and his partners formed the ABL, they locked in some benefits that were previously unheard of. Parental leave, pensions, revenue sharing, even player ownership in the league.
3: They always said it was a players league. They wanted players to be owners and on the board.
0: The WNBA didn't offer any of these same benefits. And for the few health care benefits they did offer, they only covered players for the length of the season. Which, it turns out, was a lot shorter than the men's basketball season.
3: A normal season for basketball is from about September until April, March Madness.
0: But the WNBA lasts only how long? Three months. While Gary was still scrambling to fill stadiums and get ABL games publicized in 1997, the WNBA was gearing up to launch and finalizing the details. Their games would be broadcast on TVs nationwide. And as the weather warmed that summer the league prepared to take the court for the very first time. The first game of the first
2: season of the new Women's National Basketball Association began with high hopes and a full-court press of publicity. So the WNBA isn't the only pro game in town. Women have been playing in the American Basketball League for almost a year now, practically unnoticed.
0: As the ABL prepared for its second season, the WNBA continued to poach its star players. One by one, the ABL teams were thinning out. That was a
3: strategy, you know, start pulling the bricks, you know, the foundational bricks, until eventually it's going to crumble one way or another. But we all thought that we could make it work.
0: Gary Cavalli was getting desperate.
2: We actually went around to the TV networks and offered to buy the time so that our games would be on a major network.
0: The ABL was offering to buy time, meaning they would pay the networks to televise the games. That's not how this usually works. The NBA's
2: hold on those networks was so strong that everybody said no except CBS. CBS agreed to carry two of our playoff games. That was the best we could do.
0: For the ABL players, the question was getting clearer and clearer. Stay with the league they so wanted to succeed or leave for the league they knew would last. By 1998, Gary made one last-ditch effort. He swallowed his pride and actually met with the WNBA commissioner to ask if they'd consider merging the two leagues. It was his absolute last resort. The NBA, they said no, leaving Gary to make the decision he'd been dreading.
2: I just said, guys, you know, I think we have to be realistic here. We have talked to everybody. We have visited every TV network. We have talked to every potential sponsor in the world. I think we have to be to be honest and say it's time to close
0: up shop. The ABL board got to work on cancellations. Plane tickets, hotel stays, games even. But this was right in the middle of the league's Christmas break. It wasn't easy to get the announcement out league wide. Valerie got the word secondhand.
3: Everybody's off during Christmas taking the nice, you know, just rest. Somebody called me and said, Wow, vale, did you hear about the ABL? I was like, What? And then, you know, of course, you just connecting with people, trying to figure out what's going on. It was it was crazy. People were banking on their checks for their livelihood. So they have to go out and get unemployment, you know, which some players had never done anything like that. So now you got professional athletes going down to the unemployment line in Columbus. <laughs> some people were coming up to us like, wow, aren't you the Columbus Quest? What are you doing in unemployment line?
0: With the ABL officially done, its players were left with only one real option. Join the WNBA. Even the most loyal players slowly made the switch. Like Valerie Still.
3: My agent got a call. I think one of the teams wanted me
0: to come up. Valerie was invited to join the WNBA team based in Washington, D.C., the Mystics. The team had a terrible record. They only won three games their first season. But the Mystics did have one thing going for it. Valerie's old friend, Nikki McRae. And these two got to play together like old times. But this time, even bigger. It was
3: probably the best decision that I made because I ended up playing in like all these arenas like Madison Square Garden the forum. It was more like forget all the nonsense and remember why you're in this. It's for opportunities, and you'll have this experience. You just being there is you know it's good enough.
0: For many players like Valerie, it was impossible not to notice how little their voices mattered in the WNBA's decisions. It
3: wasn't like Do you all agree with what we're proposing? Are you okay with it? It was more like, this is how we're gonna set this league up. Let's go. You gotta remember, this is the NBA. You don't have any other options and this is a great opportunity. Like, who wants to go up against the NBA?
0: In the fall of 1998, WNBA players joined together to form the Women's National Basketball Players Association, the first labor union in women's sports. They renegotiated their contract the next year and walked out with some minor wins. They'd get year-round health insurance, and players' minimum salaries would be raised to $25,000 for rookies and $30,000 for vets. But overall, not much changed. For me, it was just something
3: that they checked off their list.
0: I didn't come out thinking, whoa, you know what?
3: That's some powerful stuff. They really are looking out for women.
0: In 2020, the Women's Players Union negotiated a contract that raised players' base salaries to six figures. They also got fully paid parental leave along with shared revenue. But the season was still only a summer long. And there's a massive gender pay gap between the men's and women's leagues. It's actually a staggering difference. This season, the average salary for an NBA player is close to $7 million. The average salary in the WNBA? A whopping 147000
3: For me, the WNBA never represented the empowerment of women. For some players, for some people, it represents empowering women. And for me, it never did. And now we're here dealing with some of the same issues. It's like knocking your
0: head against a wall. For example, the WNBA's short summer seasons. The league's schedule perpetuates the problem the ABL set out to solve over 20 years ago. American women playing overseas to support themselves in the offseason. WNBA players today are stuck doing the same thing they did before there was a league at all. Heading to far-flung countries, leaving family behind, and facing risks they wouldn't if they were at home. Valerie still is retired from basketball now. She coached for a year in the WNBA after that first season with the Mystics, and then retired her jersey so she could focus on philanthropy and her family. She also makes a point of talking about the ABL whenever possible, because no one else really does.
3: One of the things that I thought was going to happen, and and it did happen right away, was the ABL would be erased from the history of women's basketball. And we know about how important it is when you're erased from history.
0: As I think back through my sports fandom, and believe me, I was a huge hoops head... I can vividly see Lisa Leslie and Cheryl Swoops battling it out in front of the WNBA logo. I remember hearing the We Got Next slogan on repeat. But not once do I remember hearing about the ABL, this tiny league that set a high bar for how women athletes deserve to be treated in this country. They created an ethos that you rarely ever saw in sports.
3: You're going to play seven months out of the year, you're a professional athlete, you're going to get these benefits, you're going to be paid this way. Each player had a certain percentage in the team that they were on. That's generational wealth, that's creating wealth. Getting a paycheck every month is not doing that. The ABL did that.
0: The American Basketball League was bigger than the 98 women who played in its inaugural season. It fought fearlessly day after day on behalf of the athletes who wore their jerseys. And yeah, they may have been eclipsed by the deeper pockets of a more powerful league, but their legacy now lives on through the collective spirit of the WNBA. In 1996, women basketball players finally began to see that they deserved more for their skill and labor. They saw that it wasn't unreasonable to expect respect. For me, I hope that's a lesson on and off the court, we won't ever forget. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was hosted by me, Ramoy Phillip, and produced by Olivia Briley. Next week, it's man versus machine as IBM's new chess-playing supercomputer, Deep Blue goes up against the Grandmaster. He was the Michael Jordan of chess. There was no question that he was not just a gladiator, not just a king, but as far as the rest of us were concerned, a god. Our host is Simone Polanin. Our associate producers are Nick Del Rose and Laura Newcomb. Our production assistant is Jasper Drecki, The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Liza Yeager. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor, fact-checking by Ian Michael, sound design and mixing by Emma Munger. Original music by Sax Kixav, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co, with music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stuart pontier The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Thanks to Pamela Wheeler, Tayo Amos, Ida Harden, Aaron Neary, Raymond Rodriguez, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Roziga, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, and Liz Stiles. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the bell next to the follow button to get notification for new episodes. Check out our new comment feature in the Spotify app. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow Simone over on her Twitter at Simone Planin. Thanks for hanging. See you next week. The ABL
3: was like, be who you are. As long as you come on a court and do what you do, knock yourself out. We don't care. We celebrated our first conference championship at a gay bar. Two or three. Might have been more than that that night. <laughs> <laughs>